Appendices 21 to 30 of Stories of Old Greece and Rome by Emily Kip Baker. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Appendices 21 to 30. Appendix 21. References and allusions to Cupid abound in poetry. A few of the best known poems are Eros by Edmund Gosse. Ode to Psyche by John Keats, The Lost Eros by Thomas Ashe, The Unknown Eros by Coventry Patmore, The Story of Cupid and Psyche by William Morris, Hue and Cry After Cupid by Ben Jonson. The following is a charming little poem by John Lilly. Cupid and my campaspe played, at cards for kisses Cupid played, he stakes his quiver bows and arrows, his mother's doves and team of sparrows loses them too then down he throws the coerall of his lip the rose growing on's cheek but none knows how with these the crystal of his brow and then the dimple of his chin all these did my campaspe win at last he set her both his eyes she won and cupid blind did rise o love has she done this to thee what shall alas become of me Appendix 22. There is a very old story of a woman's love for her husband, and her efforts to win him back from death, which is known in every part of India. On a certain night in the year, millions of Hindu women celebrate a rite in honour of Savitri. The story is told in the Mahabharata, an ancient epic of India. Walter Pater, in Marius the Epicurean, gives the story of Cupid and Psyche as contained in Apuleius. Many of the incidents of the story will be found in modern fairy tales, and romances such as Beauty and the Beast, Grimm's Twelve Brothers, and Gaelic stories, The Three Daughters of King O'Hara, Fair, Brown, and Trembling, The Daughter of the Skies, and the Norse tale, East of the Sun and West of the Moon. Appendix 23 The most amusing use made of the story of Pyramus and Thisbe is in Shakespeare's Midsummer Night's Dream, Act Three, Scene Two, and Act Five, Scene One, which is a burlesque of what was, in the original story in Ovid, a tragedy. Appendix Twenty Four. Poems on Hero and Leander have been written by Christopher Marlowe, Lee Hunt, Thomas Hood, and Thomas More. Keats wrote a sonnet on a picture of Leander. Byron attempted Leander's feat of swimming across the Hellespont a thing that was considered impossible until the English poet proved its feasibility by performing it himself. The distance in the narrowest part is almost a mile, and there is a constant current setting out from the sea of Marmara. Since Byron's time the swimming of the Hellespont has been achieved by others, but it still remains a test of strength and skill. Appendix 25 Various modern stories have been based upon the myth of Pygmalion. One of the best known is The Venus of Illy by Prosper Merrimay. Poems The New Pygmalion by Andrew Lang. Pygmalion and the Image by William Morris. Pygmalion the Sculptor by Robert Buchanan. Appendix 26. Amphion had a twin brother named Zethus, who, however, had none of the musician's artistic ability. The brothers heard that their mother, Antiope, had been put aside by her second husband Lycus, in order that he might marry another wife, 
So Amphion and Zethus hastened to Thebes, where they found things worse than they had imagined, for Antiope was thrust into prison, and subject to a very cruel treatment. The brothers besieged the city, and, after taking possession of it, put Lycus to death. Then they tied Derke, who had been the cause of their mother's suffering, to the tail of a wild bull, and let it drag her over the stones until she was dead. This punishment of Derke is the subject of a famous piece of sculpture called the Farnese Bull, as it once belonged to the Farnese family, now in the National Museum at Naples. Poem Amphion by Alfred Tennyson Appendix 27 Orpheus's lute was placed in the heavens as the bright constellation Lyra. The story of Orpheus and Eurydice is often alluded to in poetry. Pope has used it to illustrate the power of music in his Ode for St. Cecilia's Day, and the wonderful beauty of the nightingale's song over the grave of Orpheus is alluded to by Southey in his Thalabba. The song of the nightingale seemed to the ancients so plaintive that, wishing to account for its sadness, they invented the story of Philomela. King Tereus, having wearied of his wife Procne, tore out her tongue by the roots, and then married her sister Philomela, pretending that his wife was dead. Procne informed her sister of the horrible truth by means of a web into which she wove her story. To revenge themselves upon the king, the sisters killed the boy Itylus, son of Tereus and Procne, and served him up as food to his father. To punish them for this wickedness, the gods changed Procne into a swallow, and Philomela into a nightingale, which for ever bemoans the murdered Itylus. The king Tereus they transformed into a hawk. Poems The Power of Music by William Wordsworth Eurydice and Orpheus by Robert Browning Orpheus and Eurydice by Lewis Morris Eurydice by James R. Lowell Eurydice by Edward Dowden Waking of Eurydice by Edmund Gosse Appendix 28 The Muses were the daughters of Jupiter and Nemosyne, goddess of memory. Although they sometimes united in one grand song, they had separate duties and powers. Apollo, as leader of the choir of Muses, was called Musagetes. Cleo, the muse of history, recorded the great deeds of heroes, and was usually represented with a laurel wreath and a book and stylus. Euterpe, the muse of lyric poetry, was represented with a flute and garlands of flowers. Thalia, the muse of comedy, was also the patroness of pastoral poetry, and so was often represented with a shepherd's crook as well as a mask. Melpomene, the muse of tragedy, wore a crown of gold, and wielded a dagger and a sceptre. Terpsichore, the muse of choral, dance, and song, was usually portrayed in the act of dancing. Erato, the music of love poetry, held a lyre. Polyhymnia, the muse of sacred poetry, also presided over rhetoric. Calliope, the muse of epic and heroic poetry, wore a laurel crown. Urania, the muse of astronomy, held mathematical instruments. Appendix 29 Mars's attendants, or some say his children, were Eris, discord, Phobos, alarm, Metus, fear, Demios, dread, and Palor, terror. As founder of Rome, Romulus was its first king, and ruled over the people so tyrannically that the senators determined to get rid of him. So one day, when an eclipse plunged the city into sudden darkness, 
the senators killed Romulus, cut his body into pieces, and hid them under their wide togas. When daylight returned, and the people looked about for their king, for all the citizens had assembled on the forum, the senators informed them that Romulus had been carried off by the immortal gods, and would never return. After this Romulus was worshipped as a god under the name of Quirinus, and a temple was built on one of the seven hills of Rome, which has since been known as Mount Quirinal. Yearly festivals in honour of Romulus were held in Rome under the name of Quirinalia. Appendix 30 Homer gives two versions of the story of Vulcan's lameness. One, that Jupiter threw him out of heaven for helping his mother against Jupiter's will, and the other that he was born deformed, and that Juno, ashamed of his ugliness, cast him out of heaven. Version 1. Yea, once ere this, when I was fain to save thee, Juno, he caught me by my foot, and hurled me from the heavenly threshold. All day I flew, and at the set of sun I fell in Lemnos, and little life was in me. Version 2. She, Thetis, delivered me when pain came upon me from my great fall through the ill-will of my shameless mother, who would fain have hid me away, for that I was lame. He spake, and from the anvil rose limping, a huge bulk, but under him his slender legs moved nimbly. The bellows he set away from the fire, and gathered all his gear, wherewith he worked into a silver chest, and with a sponge he wiped his face and hands, and sturdy neck and shaggy breast, and did on his doublet, and took a stout staff, and went forth limping. From the Iliad, Book One, and Book Eighteen. Vulcan's children were mostly monsters, but he is also reputed father of Servilus Tullius, sixth king of Rome, by a slave Ocrisia, whom he visited in the form of a bright flame, which played harmlessly about her. Vulcan was worshipped by all blacksmiths and artisans, and great festivals called the Vulcanalia and the Hephaestia were celebrated in his honour. End of Appendices 21-30